Coming to you live. Live. And podcasting around the globe. You're listening to the Deal Farm Podcast. Guaranteed to tickle your real estate loving ear holes. And now, here's your host, world-renowned TV heartthrob and investor extraordinaire, Ken Corsini. Hey, this is Ken Corsini with the Best Deal Ever show. On today's episode, I'm joined by my buddy, Tim Bratz. Tim, how you doing, man? Dude, excited to be here, Ken. Appreciate you having me, buddy. Yeah, man. Thrilled to have you. So, Tim, if you're an investor and you're on social media, you probably know who Tim is because he's lighting everybody up with his amazing multifamily business. Tim, tell a little bit about what you guys do. Yeah, I mean, we, we focus on apartments. I come from the residential realm. I got started back about 15 years ago as you know, an intern in, in real estate and working in the construction industry. Started investing about 11 years ago um, and tried everything. Man, I was a real estate agent, then I got into wholesaling, then I got into flipping, then I got into turnkey, and then I got into you know buying small multi and then bigger multifamily. And you know, sat back on a vacation a few years back and just realized that, um, you know, 90% of my net worth came from my apartments and it was only about 10% of my time. And I just thought, man, what if I just pivoted my team and focused only on multifamily? And that's what I've done over the past several years. And it just, it's amazing, man, what you focus on expands. And so um, over the past four and a half years, we've built our portfolio to 3,700 units. I got another and 600 under contract right now, and um, just you know, rocking and rolling. So it's uh, it's pretty cool. But again, I come from the residential realm. I never read a book on this stuff. I never went to a course, and uh, just kind of figured it out. And I use residential methods in buying apartment buildings, and it's worked out pretty well. That's amazing. So just in the last four years, you've accumulated 3,700 units. Now, now listen, like that's when I built my current portfolio, right? Like I got started in real estate and I was really bad at real estate for about seven years going right. through all the learning curves. Right. And then finally something clicked and I, I started to, you know, like all those, all those times you mess up, you learn from all those things and you don't make that mistake again. And then again, right. and then again, and you keep on failing forward until all of a sudden you've made every mistake and now nobody can pull the wool over your eyes. Yeah. And so that's, that's what happened to me. And, um, you know, we do all the due diligence on all these things. And, and so we know exactly what we're getting into from the, uh, from the get go before we ever buy this thing. We know what it's going to be worth. We know what work's going to have to go into it. And it's very predictable for right. us. And so, right. um, and we got, we look at a lot of deals in order to sort through to find and cherry pick the best ones. Sure. Now you're in the Cleveland market, right? Is that where you're based out of? Yeah, I, I'm coming from Cleveland right now. I split my time between Cleveland, Ohio and Charleston, South Carolina. Gotcha. But you're doing deals where? all over the U.S.? Mostly in the Southeast and the Midwest. I got a okay. little bit of stuff out in like Texas, Oklahoma, but primarily um, Ohio, Illinois, Indiana. Um, I got some, a lot of stuff in the Southeast, uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, Alabama, Louisiana. Um, I like those markets a lot. Yeah, you're all over the place, man. So <laughs> having done all these deals, even, I mean, I obviously had a lot of residential experience. Now you've got a lot of multifamily experience. Is there one deal in particular that stands out as your best deal ever? Yeah, I have, uh, you know, what's, what's fortunate, it'll come full circle. I want to share kind of my philosophy on finding deals and, yeah. and the best deals. And um, again, it's, it's, it's a lot of times a sorting game, you know, like they, we look at 400 deals a month, apartment buildings. Holy over, cow. I mean, and, and they, they can range and some of them don't meet our buying criteria because they're too small. 
or um, they're, they're not in the class of area that we buy in or where it's located, it's too much of a, of a tenant friendly area versus a landlord friendly area. And so there's just different things of, of reasons why we say no to a lot of deals, but we close out, we look at 400, we close one or two per month. Um, but it's a sorting game. And if you right. can sort quickly through deals, you can get to those deals faster than a lot of other people can before all the competition comes in. Right. right. Um, but at the same time, man, there, there are, there are over, um, I, th I think the statistic is, uh, it's, it's like two and a half million multifamily properties in the country, two and a half million, right? If you talk about five units and bigger, it's something like, um, I think it's 700,000. And if you're talking 50 units and bigger, it's, it's right around 90,000 units, 94,000 units. And that's a 2017 numbers. So that doesn't include anything that's been built over the past two and a half years um, that, that before those statistics came out. So I can tell you firsthand that just one deal, and I'll go over one deal, a 60 unit deal, that um, one deal can change your life forever. Sure. But you got to sort through a lot of deals in order to find that that good one, because as much as one deal and a, and a handful of deals can build your net worth and build your your income and build your residual and build your uh, uh, your legacy and your wealth, um, one bad deal can take you down, too. So you got to really know, you know what you're looking at or be working with somebody who really knows what they're doing. Yeah. So I'm just curious how you're sourcing 400 deals a month to look at. Where are those coming <laughs> from? That's amazing. All the same ways that we source deals on the, on the single family side. So. Dude, I'm a multifamily owner, but guess what? I have a phone number just like residential owners do. So you can dial for dollars. Uh, I have a mailing address just like residential owners do. You can send out direct mail and postcards. Um, you can drive for dollars, just like there's houses with tall grass and boarded up windows. Guess what? There's buildings with tall grass and boarded up windows. And um, I, it, the, the primary way that I've kind of built up my marketing machine is like, I just, I, I network like crazy. I'm pretty active on social media. And I'm telling people all the time that I'm buying apartment buildings. A lot of people want to get into something, but they want to be like a secret agent, and not tell anybody. And the issue is you're not going to have deals fall in your lap if nobody knows what you do. So you have to be out there letting people know that you're buying houses, you're buying apartments, you're buying whatever you're buying and, and stay top of mind. And what I found is that there's a lot of residential people that were on my, in my database, in my email list, on my Excel spreadsheet. Um, that were investors and wholesalers and bird dogs and flippers that come across apartment buildings a lot, but they don't know what to do with them. They don't know how to operate them. They don't know how to underwrite them. They don't know how to finance them or raise the money for them. And so what they do is they just shrug their shoulders and they just discard it. They throw those away. And what I've been able to do is just tell everybody that I buy apartment buildings, send me all your apartment buildings. If you do, then I'll either pay you a wholesale fee, like a referral fee, or I'll kick you some equity in the project. And so that way you can build some wealth in perpetuity as well and be kind of part of the project. And by doing that and creating value for other people, it's then created a lot of value for me where now we get a steady stream of deal flow. Right. Yeah, and so yeah. I, I hired an acquisition guy and he just, he sorts through deals all day, every day. And, um, and then looks for the best ones. Wow. Well, yeah, you basically created an army of bird dogs for yourself that are out there sourcing mm -hmm. deals for you. Yep, so exactly. this best deal, how did this one come about? How'd you find this one? So when you're, especially when you're there's like, like multifamilies, a, a heavy and hot topic right now. And there's a lot of people trying to get into it. And what you need to realize is it's very different than commercial real estate. A lot of times commercial real estate, um, 
those brokers, they don't have to put the listing on the MLS or on LoopNet or on CoStar and market it out to the masses. And because they don't have to, because there's not the same laws and rules and regulations like there is in residential, like a residential agent has to put that listing on the market in 72 hours in most states to protect people who aren't sophisticated landowners, you know? Mm -hmm. Some, some, uh, some kid inherits a property because their grandparents passed away. They don't know what to do with that property. And so there needs to be laws to protect those people. But if you're playing the commercial, you're assumed to be a sophisticated investor and because you're buying specifically for investment purposes. So you're a big boy, you're a big girl, like you can, you can, you know, buy for yourself. And so there's not all this regulation. So what you need to understand is because there's not regulation, these brokers in commercial don't want to co-broke, right? What they want to do is they want to keep both sides of the commission for themselves. Right. So they leave a listing in their pocket and they shop it around to the top 10 buyers in town. They know who the top 10 biggest buyers are. And then if all those top 10 buyers say no to it, then it gets put onto the MLS. Then it gets put onto LoopNet and they're hoping that some putz comes in and buys it and overpays for it. Right. right. So what you need to understand when you're looking for apartment building deals is you got to go off market. You got to go direct to seller at least initially, until you become one of those big buyers. And I'm, I am one of the top five buyers probably in South Carolina and Georgia for multifamily. And so now I get broker relationships, right? Now I do get those off-market calls, but I didn't always. Three, four years ago, I was not in that position. Over the past 12, 18 months, I've been starting to get some broker deals. And this one ended up coming from a broker that we bought a very difficult deal from. We performed on it. We did what we say we we're going to do. And then they started bringing us some other stuff. Wow. So it is relationships. So this particular deal, was this brought to you by a broker? This one was. Yep. Okay. And so where was the deal? So it's in, um, just outside of Charleston, South Carolina, coastal South Carolina area, okay. low yep. country. Yep. And, um, it was actually a development deal. So I have a joint venture partner who actually lives not far from you. He's in Alpharetta, Georgia. Oh yeah. And, um, uh, he, he oversees a lot of the operations for what we do down in Charles, Charleston and South Carolina and Georgia. And so, um, he had had this relationship with this broker from a deal that we bought and he has a background in building and new construction as well. So I don't have a background in building a new construction, but I can still get involved in a new construction deal because I can come in, I can sponsor the loan. I can raise and bring the money. I can do a lot of the asset management or capital management side of things. And then I can let him focus on what he's really good at, which is project management, construction and the property management operations side. Right. So, um, this deal comes across our, our desk. It's 60 units uh, that we can build on, I don't even know what it is, about 10 acres of land, let's say. And um, uh, it's, in a, it's in a growing area, right? We buy a lot of stuff and build a lot of stuff in workforce, A and B class workforce areas. I don't do anything luxury. I think that stuff gets hit pretty hard when the market shifts. And uh, we were talking offline that I don't do anything like C or D class areas just because it's a headache from a management perspective. Right, so, right. You know, this, this deal came across our desk and it was in a great, you know, growing area right down from some hospitals and some uh, schools and uh, higher education schools and um, just, just booming, bustling type area. And so we decide we're going to buy it and build um, 60 apartments. And the numbers, the numbers were good. The numbers were, uh, we're going to be all in for around, I want to say it was like six and a half million bucks is our all in cost on this. Okay. Um, so it's just shy of a hundred thousand dollars a unit or just over, I'm sorry, a hundred thousand right. dollars a unit. Um, and that's for land soft costs and the actual physical building costs. And, um, we could rent these things out for just around 12 to 13. <laughs> sorry. Less. We can rent these things out for just around 12 to $1,300 per month. 
So good deal. If you look at it from a quick analysis, if you're in for $100,000 a unit, and it's, it meets that 1% rule that a lot of us know right. from getting involved in real estate and the whole rental side of things. Yep. And it actually exceeds that. It's actually 1.3%. So the, the deal would have been worth about nine and a half to 10 million bucks when we were all said and done. And it's new construction in a booming area and uh, awesome, right? And so it's a good, solid base hit right down the middle of the plate kind of a deal. So here's what happens. We buy the land. We're going through the whole permitting process and the, the, the making sure we get the density and all these different things. Um, and the local hospital that's a block away comes to us and says, hey, we uh, have a desperate need for housing in this area uh, for our, our traveling nurses and our traveling doctors. Hmm. Can we come in and rent 40 of the units from you for $2,500 a month? guaranteed every month, regardless of occupancy, we will pay you $2,500 per unit for 40 of the units Come and, on. and we'll sign a three year contract. Okay. So we get, we get we're like, the, and they gave us a hundred thousand dollar deposit. Holy cow. That's, that's how serious it was. So we go through the process, get everything's like everything approved and zoned and permits. And uh, we're working on our construction financing. We line all that stuff up. Um, and we, we had, you know, on the six and a half million dollars, just to share kind of how it's structured, we go and get um, uh, financing for about 80% of the cost. And then we right. go and raise private money, syndicate for the other 20% of yep. the all in. So six and a half uh, million bucks, we were all in for six and a half million. We had to raise about $1.25 million of equity yep. from investors. And then we went and got a, a, a loan for whatever the balance is, uh, 5.25 million bucks. Yep. So um, it's assumed in commercial real estate that you're going to raise private money for the down payment. They don't need you to bring the actual cash like right. in residential real estate. Right. As, and as counterintuitive as it is, it's actually easier to do big deals than it is to do small deals. They right. look more heavily at the project than they do the borrower. They, I mean, they're still, you need the net worth, liquidity, and the background of doing that. But it's 90% based on the property itself and only 10% based on the borrower, which yep. is, you know, completely flip side of the coin of, of residential. So um, we were able to go in there. We build this thing out. We're actually still, we're wrapping up construction over the next about 60 days or so. And uh, about a month ago, the, the hospital comes back to us and says, Hey, we need all 60 units. Will you lease all 60 of them to us for $2,500? Come on. And about a week ago, the city comes to us and says, Hey, you guys got enough land? Like we'll grant you another 12 units. Like there's a desperate need for housing in this area. So now it's turning into a 72 unit deal. It looks like it's going to, I just got this phone call last week and I think we can get the hospital to take all 72 units at 2,500 bucks. So let me, let me go over the, um, the yeah, I want to see these numbers. How does this cash flow look? It's going to be insane. I already know. Yeah. It's, so it's, it's just remarkable. Um, <laughs> bought the land for $660,000. Our capital improvements were 4.3 million and our carrying costs were, um, just over 1.7 million. So we're actually all in for $6,740,000 is our all-in cost. So a little, little more than what I um, yep. said before. Right. The net operating income on this thing before would have been, would have been respectable, right? We, it would have, would have covered debt service and we'd have had whatever it was, 15, uh, probably about, yeah, it would, it would have been about $15,000 a month in, um, in cash flow, after all operating expenses, after all debt service. Right. 
here's the thing, man. The taxes don't change, right? The insurance doesn't change. The utilities don't really change. Now we're going to pay a, a couple of extra utilities, but it's an extra hundred dollars per unit. They're paying us an extra 12 to $1,300 per unit. You know, we have a one-time cost to buy some furnishings and, and furnish the apartments. Um, and that's, that's why uh, uh, some of the numbers change just a little bit, but the reality is that extra 60 units times $1,200 per unit per month of additional cash flow goes straight to the bottom line. Right. Yeah. It's straight to the bottom line. It's pure profit for us. And so there's, again, a little bit of additional expenses, but not as much as you think. So our net operating income on this property is $1,463,000 a year. Our debt service on it is, so, so here's, here's what, our, what our model is. Our, our model is to buy an apartment, fix it all up, put good management, good tenants in place, and then refinance it. So similar to, you know, I got to be all in if I'm flipping a house for 65% of that after repair value. Yeah. I did the exact same model. I need to be all in for 65% of the stabilized value. So I know that a building that's worth 10 million bucks, if I'm all in for six and a half million, I can go get a 70% loan. And on that 70% loan, I can pay back the short-term construction financing. I can pay back uh, my equity investors. And then there might even be some refinance proceeds, like a little right. bit of a spread there. Right. And then it cash flows, right? And there's equity, another $3 million of equity built into the deal. Yep. And that's what kind of what the numbers would have played out and shaked out like on this. So on this one, because we were able to get the higher valuation, we can go back to the bank after showing just three months of occupancy and these leases and payments once it's all built. And so probably this summer, this will come out and we're going to show $1.46 million of NOI. That puts us, puts our cap rate at our basis of $6 million, $6.7 million. That gives us a 22.7% cap rate on new construction. That's insane. That it's never, unheard of. It's right? unheard of. That's crazy. Yeah. And, and so, so if, if we get the valuation, which we, we are very confident we will, um, it'll, it'll probably appraise, I think it's like a six and a half percent cap rate type of yeah, market. Right. It might, might be even stronger than that because it's new construction, it's booming and all this stuff, but it's a little bit outside of Charleston. So uh, because it's not kind of like a, a, a city center, we might get a little bit uh, lesser of a valuation, but it still puts our stabilized value at $22.5 million. That That's means crazy. we've created $15,770,000 of equity in this property. So what our goal is, they're not going to give us a 70% loan because we'd be taking way too much money off the table sure. and no yeah. bank would do that. Right. But we'll probably get about a 50% loan on it. So if it appraises for 22 million bucks, right. we'll take out 11 million. Yep. That's, that's a little over $4 million of non-taxable refi proceeds off the table. Right. You're just borrowing your own equity. Yeah, but it's not me repaying it. It's the tenants repaying it. Right. right, right. And I can borrow it at four and a half. I mean, we're, we're getting loans for four, 4.1, 3.8. I got one closing in uh, next month. Um, uh, just insane. So I know I can go make it better than a 4% return. So why don't I take that money off the table? My tenants are repaying it. I can utilize that money and roll it into other deals, roll it into other projects, just stay liquid if I wanted to have some peace of mind. Um, so we're going to take a 50% loan on it, pull about $11 million off the table. And then we have, um, I'm, I'm sorry, take put an $11 million loan, take a little million. over $4 million yeah. off the table and refi proceeds. And then uh, 
after all expenses, after all operating expenses and debt service on the $11 million mortgage, it'll still cash flow $778,000 per year. That's so, ridiculous, man. Dude, That's just insane. crazy. So, so not only do I take 4 million bucks off the table and it's not all mine, I have um, two other partners plus my equity investors. So yeah. I own, I think 25.5% of this deal. Okay. So, but I'll take a million bucks off the table tax-free in right around a 12 month, maybe 15 month time frame, And then I get 25% of the cash flow. So if it's cash flowing just shy of $800,000 a year, that's a $290,000, $295,000. I'm sorry, $195,000. 200 grand a year, $195,000 a year cash flow to me. Raise my, it just gave myself a raise of $200,000 a year and took a million bucks off the table. So, and my partner made a million bucks. My, his brother, who's also a partner, made another million dollars, gets that, that cash flow as well. And um, our equity investors get all their money off the table and have a chunk of that cash flow as well. So it's a sweet deal for everybody involved. And um, uh, it's just, it's one of those deals though, that, you know, you might say, oh dude, you got lucky, right? You got lucky because the bank came and uh, gave you guys a good loan. You got lucky because this broker brought you this deal off market. You got lucky because the, uh, the hospital came by and, and asked to rent all these units. You got, maybe, but what is luck, right? Luck is when, um, uh, or, or preparation meets opportunity equals success, right? And, and all of a sudden people think you're lucky. And the reality is, man, I, I go back to, I think about what Jim Rohn said, you know, Jim Rohn is like the, the OG of personal development, right? He was Tony Robbins. Uh, mentor. And Jim Rohn has this analogy of, of sowing and reaping and uh, planting and harvesting. And he says something along the lines of like, listen, you have to go out and you have to plant seeds. If you don't plant seeds, you will not have a harvest, right? Now, some people go out and they plant seeds and some of those seeds dry up and they get burned out by the sun. They don't get the water that they needed. They blow away into somebody else's pasture and they don't grow actually for you. And you got you got to work an entire season right? At like, like half of the year before these things actually grow and produce fruit or produce vegetables. And there's a lot of people who get discouraged when the seeds burn out, when the seeds uh, blow away, when the seeds don't get enough water, don't get enough soil, um, or, or uh, when they take root, but they're not, you can't see the actual fruits of your labor, right? You can't see the actual fruit growing because sometimes it has to grow down before it grows up. And um, I see a lot of people who are like, they're, they're out there and they're like, oh yeah, I'm planting seeds, but then they get discouraged and they stop doing it. Right. And I can, what I can promise you is that some of these seeds might not, har might not harvest, right. You might not actually be able to get a harvest from some of them. Other ones might harvest. You, you might see them sprout in five days. You might see them sprout in five weeks, five months, five years, maybe 50 years. That doesn't mean they're not working underneath the surface, right. Just because you're not seeing the, the results right now doesn't mean it's not working underneath the surface. It doesn't mean that like when you're out working out every day and you haven't worked out for two years and all of a sudden you work out every day for, for 30 days and you don't see any results. Does that mean you're not actually losing weight? No, your body has to get back in that, that priming of the pump and, and get the, the muscles working. And you're like, Oh man, how, how, how am I not seeing results? You got to work out every day for four months, five months before anybody else even realizes and they see the results of your effort. You're like, Dude, I've been bleeding, crying, and sweating, and achy muscles for the past five months, and you're just now seeing that I'm, I'm losing weight and looking more trim. 
that's that's what real estate is too, right? You got to go out, you got to plant the seeds, you got to put in the effort. And over time, if you're doing deals and if you keep on planting seeds, eventually there will be a harvest. For sure. I promise you that if you don't plant seeds, there will never be a harvest. So you just got to go out there, keep planting seeds, and eventually a deal like this will fall in your lap. I've been waiting 15 years for this deal to occur, right? But <laughs> right. because I was bad at real estate, because I stuck with it, because I didn't quit and go somewhere else and start over and go through the learning curves over and over again in different industries, you just stick with it. Real estate's not an experiment. You know, right. I mean, since the beginning of, of civilization, wealth has been measured in land ownership. And so you know that it works. It's just a matter of time. And how long will it take before your seed starts sprouting? Yeah. Well, that's a common, it's a common thread with all of these best deal ever's because they are the unicorns, but you don't get a unicorn until, like you said, you're playing a ton of seeds. And part of that's just being in the business, doing deals, doing deals. And I feel like every year I have a quasi unicorn because you do enough deals like, oh man, this is a phenomenal deal this year. But mm -hmm. I wouldn't have gotten that deal if I wasn't doing, hit, getting all the base hits and the, you know, the singles and the doubles and then gotcha. eventually get a home run, right? Yep. And, and the reality is, man, base hits win the games, right? You don't want to sure. rely on the home runs. The home runs are nice and it's happy and it's exciting when you're, when you've got the momentum built up and and it, again, it goes back to like that whole momentum thing and plant the seeds. You plant enough seeds, eventually they're just sprouting all over the place. You can't even keep up with all of them. Now right. you can cherry pick the best deals over and over and over again. And so that's kind of like where my business is headed. I've been waiting 11 years for this deal or yeah. 15 years for this deal. And now all of a sudden, dude, I just contracted some land uh, down the road from this for $2.9 million. We had some closing costs. I'm all in for 3.1 million bucks. I just bought the land got three offers on the table right now. One's a cash offer for 7.4 million bucks, no contingencies, close in, close in uh, uh, 60 days. For the land? For the land alone. Good Lord. We improved it, right? Like, yeah. well, I mean, meaning we, we got rezoned and changed from industrial over to apartments and got yeah. some free grant money and some other. So there's, there's definitely value that we created there. But for the land alone, we have an offer on the table that would net us $4 million in less than 60 days of ownership. We have another <laughs> offer on the table that's about 90 to 120 days. They need to sell a property in order to be able to buy this, but they're willing to pay for 8.2 million. So there's a contingency. Then a home builder comes in, makes us an offer to give us essentially 3.5 million bucks right now and $2 million every 90 days for the next two years. It's a $16 million offer. So, or we can build this thing out, right. build 550 units ourselves and be all in around I'd say probably 50, 55 million bucks is what we would be all in for. And it would appraise for upwards of 90 to $95 million. We take some money off the table, let this thing cash flow, and who knows, you know, and you, and you got A-class property. So it's one of those things where, again, dude, you just keep on planting seeds. And eventually there's so many seeds that you can just cherry pick yeah, the best ones. That's right. right. And, uh, and when you have a lot of options, I think that helps lead to success. It's kind of like, like golf, right? If you're stuck with just my ball, in golf, you're, you're in bad shape, right? But if we're in a scramble, we've got your, your ball, my ball, and two other people who are really good golfers. Right. We have different options to choose from. We can pick the best ball, and, and sometimes quantity leads to quality. Sure. And um, you just keep on planting seeds, man. Just keep on doing it. Love Stick it. with it. Know that it's going to grow eventually. Tim, that's a heck of a takeaway. And what a deal, man. That might be the unicorn of all unicorns you share with us today. That's <laughs> phenomenal, night. man. Congratulations for finding that and all the doors that's even opening up for you outside of Charleston. Very cool, man. Thanks so much for coming on today. It was fantastic. Appreciate you, man. Appreciate all the value you bring, Ken. So you're a rock star, buddy. I, I appreciate your friendship too. Yeah, you as well. Take care, buddy. Hey, friends, let's talk for just a minute about the market we're in right now. It's tough, right? 
Deals are hard to come by. The last thing you need is trouble funding a deal once you've done the hard work to source it. Trust me, I get it. I've been at this for 16 years and financing deals is often a huge pain in the rear. So I decided to solve the problem. I launched Red Capital Lending for real estate investors like me and probably like you. The days of paying 12% interest are over. And if it's taking more than a week for your lender to close, you're using the wrong lender. We've built Red Capital Lending for the sole purpose of providing the lowest cost of investment capital possible. I'm talking about interest rates in the sevens. With the highest level of customer service and with the fastest turnarounds, our goal is to provide funding within five days. If you've got a deal coming up and you're ready to save money and avoid the typical hassles associated with most lenders, take a minute and just submit your deal at redcapitallending.com. We'd love to work with you and show you just how easy it can be to fund your next project. Again, redcapitallending.com. Okay, so let's get back to the show, except in this segment, we're going to talk about the deals that didn't go so well. Hope you enjoy. Hey, this is Ken Corsini. I'm with my good buddy, Tim Bratz. Tim, I want to hear about your worst deal ever. Man, I got, I got a few, right? I told yeah. you I was really bad at real estate for about seven <laughs> years before I got pretty good at it. Right. And so um, I'll, give you a, I'll give you an apartment building deal, uh, a couple lessons learned in this one. So I bought a 44-unit apartment building um, a couple years ago. And this is, uh, you know, it's one, of those, it's one of those things where I started getting some momentum. People are coming to me and they're saying, hey, man, I got some money. Let's roll it into some property. Let, let me, and dude, when, when you don't have people coming to you and saying, you know, I got money, I got money, let me give you money. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's chirping in your ear and it's like, I got money, I got money, I got money. Yeah. All of a sudden you're like, all right, let me go place this money somewhere. Right. You know? Right. Totally. And you start making some stupid decisions or you start forcing deals yeah. in that case. And it's never good to force a deal. You always want to kill deals. I try to kill a deal every single time. If I can't kill it, then I know it's a good deal. Yep. But at this time, buddy of mine has got a dude I got 250 grand let's roll it forward I had another guy that I knew that I was acquaintances with kind of a buddy um who's got this 44 unit he does mostly stuff down in Florida and just had 44 units here in Cleveland Ohio and c-class area but he was also willing to potentially sell or finance it or do kind of like a like a lease option for a year and then like a master lease for a year and then I'd have to cash him out and so you know, he's coming to me like, dude, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the financing. It's easy. Right. This other guy's like, I'll give you the cash. It's easy. And so I'm like, all right, Hey, let's just go and buy this thing. It's, it's 80% occupied. You know, he sent us over the rent roll. It's got, everybody's on there. And, um, all we got to do is we got to turn what nine units, turn nine units at about five grand a piece, put about 50 G's in this thing. And then uh, I can turn this thing around and probably make two fifty to $300,000 in like a six month time frame. So I'm like, Good deal, right? Smoking deal. And it's right down the road. Um, it's, I don't know, five, 10 minutes down the road from uh, where my office, about 10 minutes from where my office is. So we end up taking it down and we get in there. And I did you know, some, some physical due diligence. We got quotes and all that kind of stuff. And we looked at the rent roll and made sure that the lease corresponded to it. But one of the things I didn't, I didn't do, which now I do on everything, is he told me it was 80% occupied. Just because a property is 80% occupied, does not mean it's 80% economically occupied. Yeah, are those 80% paying is the question, right? And only 25% of them were paying. No way. Oh, Dude, crap. so I show up into this deal because Tim's an idiot and didn't do his due diligence to that extent. Uh, again, one little thing, man. Wow. 
And I, I and this is my buddy, dude. I trust this guy, right? Not yeah. really buddy, but like acquaintance. Like we've gone out to dinner together with our wives and all sorts like good enough, right? Where I know they wouldn't try to sandbag me, but yeah. the dude's like, you know, buyers are liars and sellers are worse, right? And <laughs> right. It's commercial real estate. You're like, you're a big boy. You should you should know better. And so um we get into this thing. And not only did we have to put 50 grand in and renovate those nine units and turn those, but now we're going to spend money evicting tenants. We're going to spend money on court fees, leasing fees, unit turn fees, and, and we're not collecting rent from 25 of the units that we thought we would be collecting rent on. Oof. So now the property doesn't even cover the debt service. The right. property does not cover the, um, uh, um, the operating expenses even. Like, like, so we're, I'm, I'm floating this thing with my own money now and putting some cash into it. And it's just like, it's draining us. It's draining my team. And because, so, so a couple of lessons. One, do all your due diligence, right? Yeah. So always do your physical due diligence, every single aspect of it, walk every single unit. Yeah. One thing you should not do with apartments is let a seller be like, oh yeah, this one unit is the only one that I can show you, but it's indicative of everything else. So you get this right. is what to expect, right? baloney dude don't don't believe it yeah. you gotta walk every single unit yeah. see everything in the building physically and on top of that like we spend thousands of dollars to scope every single plumbing line in an apartment complex oh wow a deal we might not even buy but wow. we got to do it because one of the biggest expenses physically it has always been the uh the plumbing expenses after we buy a property and it's just always an issue hmm. um with with the plumbing side so we make sure that we always do that. We're looking at the roofs and all those different things from a physical standpoint, from a financial and paper due diligence standpoint, we're going through and we're, we're cross-referencing leases with rent rolls with collections now. Yep. And, um, and if, if, if there's any discrepancy, if the, you know, the, the amount of security deposit that's on the lease versus what's on the rent roll vary in any way, we go get a, um, uh, an affidavit signed by the tenant that, that, oh yeah, I gave up my rent that month or, uh, or no, or, you know, otherwise we expect to be compensated. We expect to be prorated for whatever those deposits are. So you gotta be aware and you gotta make sure that they're actually collecting rent. Um, so, so a couple lessons there. The other reason that I don't, I told you about this earlier in the, in the podcast was, uh, I don't buy in C class areas or D class areas. The reason being is because one bad apple, one drug dealer, one prostitute, one bad apple comes in, ruins the whole bunch. Yeah. And so it can really be an issue from that standpoint, especially when all these units are in one single location. But it's also like, dude, they have no pride of ownership. They have no sure. pride of, of, of where they live. And so I'll give you a, a short story on this. You get a phone call on, the, on this building while we're going through all these, all these headaches and in and out of eviction court already. And I get a phone call from, um, or my, my team does, from the uh, – trash removal company they come in hey listen somebody put a mattress on top they just been stockpiling all the trash on top of the dumpster we can't take it it's only stuff that fits in the dumpster you got to send somebody out great so we got to pay them to go out anyways now we got to pay you know two guys in a truck to come out and then dump all this trash they go out there they throw all the trash into um you know uh, uh one of these one of these truck beds right and they take the mattress then they lift up because now they're now the trash isn't coming for a week. So now we have to take all the trash that's in the dumpster too. They lift up the dumpster, empty. It was empty. There was no trash in the dumpster. The tenants were too lazy to open up the dumpster and put their trash in. So they just stacked it on top and it cost me like two grand. No because, way. Dude, that's uh, the kind of stuff you deal yeah. with in, 
in C-class areas. Right. The tenants, you know, if anything goes wrong, that derails their finances, they can't pay rent, they're going to be paying their cell phone bill, the TV bill, and um, everything else before they ever pay you. Sure. So it's just, you're chasing rent. So I stick to B-class areas. So I, that's why I don't do C-class anymore because of that building. Yeah. That's why yeah. I do all this physical and financial due diligence on all these properties. It, that's the only apartment building I've ever lost money on. Okay. Wow. Right. So what'd you end up doing with a, do you stabilize it ever and sell it? Or yeah, you so we, end we, we ended up stabilizing it. Otherwise we would have lost our tail on it. But here's the cool thing about apartments, dude, is I could have just refinanced it and held onto it. Right. Yep. I could have refinanced it, held onto it for another three, four years and eventually broke even because we're paying down principal rents are bumping up. And eventually I could have not lost money on it. I could yeah. have actually built some wealth out of it. But what I did was I realized how much time it was taking away from my team sure. yep. on managing that building versus buying 400 more units over here right. in a good area, yep. right? And so the opportunity cost was even more than me just stroking a check for 40, 50 grand to just dump this thing. Right. Let me get rid of it. Fortunately, I had a pretty decent following. I found somebody, um, no, it was stabilized. It was a good building then. Sure. Right? They yeah, came right. in. They had a 1031 and they needed to buy it. So I actually got a little bit, I got a motivated buyer to come in and probably pay me a little bit of a premium for the deal. And, but it made sense for him because he would have had to pay taxes. So yep. he would have yep. lost money, but it was a good deal for that guy. It was a good deal for me. I stroked a check for around, I think it was 40, 45 grand. And, um, but it opened up my team to go and buy yeah. thousands more units that, that following year. Right. Totally. So yeah. you gotta, you gotta weigh all that stuff. Due diligence, right? The class of the area that you're buying in. Um, the other opportunity costs that come with, uh, doing a certain type of deal over a different type of deal. So, yeah. um, and here's what, here's what else happened. My investor had a 50, 50 split with me on that single deal. He, I could have asked him to stroke a check for 20, 25 grand and he would have never made a return on it. And he would have lost 25 grand. Instead, you always take care of your investors. You never, ever burn your investors. So what I did is he didn't make any money. I, I covered the entire nut from the loss. And then because he didn't make a return on it, I gave him equity in another deal without him having to put any money up. Nice. I gave him 5% equity in this office building I was buying right around the time we were selling that one. And that equity is worth $75,000. So it's really a 30% return on his investment that he got, but it didn't cost me anything. Yeah. I didn't have to actually pay him an actual return. It's through equity in another project that will pay him over time. Makes sense for him, makes sense for me. It's a win-win all around. My team is able to focus on bigger stuff. And so you got to be looking at this stuff from different angles all the time and Smart. always asking yourself, like, what's the best exit strategy here? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, you know, 44 unit apartment building, $40,000 loss compared to probably what it was valued at. Probably not the end of the world. But like you said, sometimes, man, just take your licks and move on. Just put it behind you. Because if it's just yep. dragging you down constantly, it's like you said, you're missing out on all this other good positive opportunity. Yep. And if, and if I wouldn't have renovated it, like you still got to create the appreciation, right? You still got to force the value. That's right. If I wouldn't have renovated it, I probably would have lost two hundred fifty dollars to 300000 just yeah. dumping it, right? And I don't want to do that. So I had to go through that effort right. to make sure my investor didn't get paid back. Um, you know, there's been a lot more money going out over the past few years of all these acquisitions than coming into me. Sure. So I wasn't in a position where I could just take a $250,000 loss at the time sure. either. So yeah. it, was, um, it was the best thing to do at that time and yeah. just... Um, Learned a lesson, man. You yeah. Don't make that mistake again, right? Well, yeah, you pay. It's a $40,000 education is what it was. 
uh, yep. the lesson that you learned and you, your business has changed now because of it. You won't, you won't make it that same mistake worse. again. It could have been on a 400 unit deal or 4,000 right. unit portfolio, right? That's right. And so it's, it's good that it happened when it did and uh, the whole team learned from it. Absolutely. Tim, thanks so much, man. Really appreciate sharing with us. Absolutely, man. Again, thanks for having me. Hey, Deal Farm listeners. If you haven't heard, I just recently released a book through Bigger Pockets Publishing called Profit Like the Pros. If you dig the Best Deal Ever podcasts, you will definitely want to get your hands on this book. I take 25 stories from some of the top investors in the country and distill them down into 25 separate chapters that will not only entertain you, but educate and inspire you in all different facets of real estate investing. Wholesaling and flipping to self-storage, multifamily and commercial, we get into the details of short sales, subject twos, and even land flipping. And whether you're a brand new investor or you have years of experience under your belt, I promise you this book will engage you. If you would, take a minute, go to Amazon and order this book, Profit Like the Pros. And if you like it, please leave us a review. Thanks so much, folks, and I will see you on the next episode of The Deal Farm.